wrestling fans, how you doing? You are listening to the next era in pro wrestling analysis. You are listening to WrestleRant Radio. I'm Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews here to bring you the front-to-end WWE coverage that you deserve. Listen online at nexterawrestling.net. Graham, it has been an exciting week and a pleasure as always to be here with you on Fridays. We are less than 10 days away from hell in a cell right here in Boston, Massachusetts. And with Survivor Series looming in the background, I have an important question to kick off today's show. What do you feel right now is the most important feud brewing and going today in the WWE? If you asked me two weeks ago, I would have said Dolph Ziggler and The Miz, considering their amazing match in No Mercy. But at this point, I'm thinking that surrounding all the discussion and talk amongst the wrestling fans on social media and whatnot over the past week, I gotta go with Charlotte and Sasha Banks, who could potentially be headlining the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view next Sunday, which we will be in attendance for back in Beantown. The Go to Hell Tour culminates next Sunday. Can't wait to be there to see it. Especially with what we saw from their sit-down interviews uh, this past Monday with Lita. What did you what did, what did you think about how each of those two competitors presented themselves? What, do, do you think one made a stronger case than the other? I do, actually. I thought Charlotte made a better impact. I thought she had a better impact, made a better case for herself in her sit-down interview with, Char- with uh, Lita, WWE Hall of Famer and former women's champion. That being said, I thought it was interesting just because I've always been the biggest boss fan, never so much Charlotte, but... As you could probably tell over the past, we've re- she's really come into her own as a heel. I thought she really owned that interview, gave me even more reason to completely disdain her. Um, so I thought she made a better case in her interview than Sasha Banks. But still, great approach in, in uh, hyping up this match for next Sunday. Something that was unprecedented on Monday Night Raw. Now, a lot of their talk revolved around history, making history. Uh, obviously, the women's revolution in, in, in pro wrestling in the WWE uh, has played a part in the vernacular in the past. However, it feels like they are starting to distance themselves from talking about making history and going out and just doing what they do best, which is competing in that ring. Did you start to see it, uh, or get a sense that they were a little bit more willing to talk about who they are and where they're coming from versus representing necessarily an entire genre and identity uh, within the WWE? A little bit. I mean, I don't want them to follow in the same footsteps as the Divas Revolution, which was really anything but. They kind of just shoved that term down her throats, and it really wasn't a Divas Revolution. The revolution came from them, what they were doing, not what the company was saying. How they were performing. Exactly. The matches, the programs, pretty much everything involving specifically Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch from the better part of 2016 and late 2015. Um, But yeah, that was kind of, I mean, I love the idea. I don't want to be that guy to complain about everything, but... The only real uh, gripe that I have with this program, this feud, this uh, match at Hell in the Cell is really that they're focusing a little bit too much on saying they're making history. That's great. I'm glad they are making history. That's a huge step forward for this company, the women, everybody involved, women's wrestling. But I would rather they focus even more or touch upon, in addition to that, this coming Monday on the go-home show before the pay-per-view, how vicious, how you know d- dangerous really this Hell in the Cell is. It's ended the careers of McFoley, Tim White, a referee, and the list goes on and on. Our own GM stepped inside the cell multiple times and almost had his career ended on various occasions. So I really think they should specify and you know, kind of uh, narrow in on the fact that Hell in the Cell can't end their careers come next Sunday. It's true. And, and like I said, this is, this is coming up 
as as fast as uh, more a little bit more fast than they they would like. They don't have a ton of time to prepare. But how does one prepare for this type of match anyway? You know, you have to go in believing you're going to come out on the other side as the winner. And I think that that's how either person in that match gets through it. Because it is it is a, a magnitude higher than any other match that they've been in to this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, they certainly have uh, a lot of heat building between the two of them right now, so that's only going to fuel the fire inside the Hell in a Cell. So, uh, But uh, coming up on the heels of a feud as tumultuous as Charlotte and uh, the boss, Sasha Banks, uh, it looks like something is brewing between Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens right now. Chris Jericho uh, had a match uh, on Raw this week against Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins referring to Chris Jericho as Sparkle Crotch. Um, <laughs> maybe not one of uh, uh, Rollins' finer catchphrases, but... Uh, it caught on with the crowd. Caught so. on with the crowd, but, you know, it didn't, see, it didn't <laughs> seem to impact Jericho much at all. Uh, what did seem to impact Chris Jericho a great bit of deal was when Kevin Owens, after being explicitly told not to participate or interfere in any way with this match, uh, did so. And uh, uh, Jericho was not too pleased. What do you make of this uh, scenario between the two of them right now, the uh, so-called best friends? And Chris Jericho has a history of doing things like this, uh, see AJ Styles. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on where this is all going? It's bittersweet. I love Jericho. Um, these guys are very entertaining on a weekly basis, so I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. I think it's a bit weird we're getting the triple threat match between Owens, Rollins, and Jericho on Raw this Monday and not at the pay-per-view, which is a bit weird. Um, but this is not my idea. I saw this on Twitter. I saw someone pitch this, and I thought it was brilliant. So hopefully, not that I think this is going to happen, but I would love to see Kevin Owens backstage while Jericho's out doing a match or something, and he comes across Jericho's list, and he finds his own name on the list. And that kind of serves as the as as the breakup, is the reason why they go their separate ways. So I would love to see something like that happen. Where That's Owens, fascinating. I think it'd be great. Like, why am I on the list? I mean, they were kind of, he almost called him a stupid idiot on Monday. He almost called him a stupid idiot. And he was like, what did you, were you just going to call me a stupid idiot? I thought it was great. Um, so again, bittersweet. These guys are great together, but they might even be better opponents. Uh, What's the old catchphrase? I know WWE used it for one of their in-your-house pay-per-views. Good friends, better enemies. So I feel like they would make some great rivals at some point in the very not-so-distant future. For now, it looks like they're willing to uh, forgive, forget, and move forward. They're definitely stronger together than they are uh, clashing right now. So um, we'll we'll see what happens coming up You know, uh, with next Monday's match announced. Now it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens going into Hell in a Cell. Obviously, Chris Jericho is an intense competitor, and uh, you know I think that leaves a lasting mark on both Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins going into that match. So if if Kevin Owens is coming out to distract Seth Rollins in a match, you know this week, who's to say Chris Jericho isn't going to come out and distract Kevin Owens? When he is in a match at Hell in a Cell. He could. Could cost him the Universal title. Even inside Satan's structure, it's probably, we've seen it before. We've seen people interfere in the structure before, so it wouldn't be the first time. But um, I could very well see that tension being teased en route to Survivor Series. And Owens and Jericho's native Canada could be building to some sort of big culmination, big some sort of WWE Universal Championship match between the two former, or currently best friends, but it might be former by that point. Yes, well, uh, speaking of, of uh, uh, things that are... Uh, big and things that we should we should uh, uh, address and, and be able to get out of the way right off the top here. Uh, Goldberg, the return of Goldberg to Monday Night Raw closed out the show. 
um, which was interesting to see uh, a build to, to, to Goldberg's return like that, seeing him coming from the, the back uh, inside uh, all of the uh, superstars lining the hallways and doing those things. Good nod to, to how it felt in the WCW uh, early days of Goldberg, which I was you know, watching as that all uh, unraveled on WCW. And what did you think about how Goldberg looked in the ring? I uh, certainly felt uh, comfortable on the microphone and had a good rapport with everybody. But you know, being personable and if he feels like he feels like a guy who has retired from professional wrestling, he does not feel necessarily like a guy that is ready to take on Brock Lesnar in the coming weeks. But what do you, what do you, what did you think about Bill Goldberg's return? I thought it could not have gone better in terms of crowd response. I was very happy that. And, and you got to give a lot of props to the live crowd. No matter how great WWE would have pulled that off from the entrance backstage, the sparklers, to your next, to your last, all that other kind of stuff is great. But if the crowd was not responsive, if they said, who is this Goldberg guy, they wouldn't have cared. I mean, we saw when Bret Hart came back, great return with Shawn Michaels and everything else a couple years ago. But the crowd, they were like, yay, like Bret Hart's back. And they weren't really that knowledgeable of an audience. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm not sure if Denver is a hot crowd or whatever, historically speaking. But they were great for Goldberg on Monday. Got an awesome response. Got, you know, uh, this is awesome chance before he even started speaking. And like you said, the guy's 49 years old. He came off super well on Monday. A guy that's never been the greatest talker. Shed some emotion, which I thought was amazing. But... Really, as you said, the bigger question is, is he ready, is he ready for Brock Lesnar? Well, he cast some doubt and said, you know, maybe this is just a video game getting into my head and thinking that, you know, I should I should come back and, and do something more than just participate in the video game, which is cool in itself, uh, you know, to have Goldberg be part of the WWE universe and what all that means and, you know, the, the, the types of matches he has had and the impression that he did have when he, when he came out. It's undeniable that he has a following. He made an impact in wrestling. He didn't do it in the traditional way in which a lot of the locker room had experienced up until that point. But the entire landscape of wrestling has changed even today with independent wrestlers coming from independent wrestling promotions and uh, NFL stars coming from uh, uh, the NFL or other football leagues or bodybuilders. I mean, it is it is much more of an open-minded pool, and I want to think that people like uh, Goldberg help pave uh, the proof to some of those other uh, avenues as being very reliable that you can not only just get talent but you can get superstar talent out of it and for all of any of his faults or flaws he certainly is willing to step back in the ring and confront everybody and I think confronting Brock Lesnar is a bold move Paul Heyman had some very choice and careful words for him and uh, it seems like Goldberg is not going to take any of that into consideration and we are looking like heading into Survivor Series of seeing some uh some real physicality between uh, two people who have gone at it uh, before. Uh, so this that, that'll be really interesting, but I, I'm glad you brought up uh, Denver. Uh, we were uh, uh, welcomed by the Mile High Trio, <laughs> who was uh, quickly uh, just swallowed alive by Braun Strowman. We're, we, Braun Strowman it, it obviously is a frustrated uh, competitor at this point. He easily... Uh, digests these this competition that McFoley keeps assigning him while while demanding and 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 pushing for more and more and yet they keep just adding smaller increments to these people but not upping the superstar talent that's facing Braun Strowman. When are we going to see Braun Strowman uh, fight a real superstar? And is do you think it's going to be Sami Zayn? 
Do you think Sami Zayn is that superstar to take out Braun Strowman? He could be. I mean, he's only one man. He faced three guys on Monday night. Like you said, they're kind of adding more bodies, but not necessarily more talent against Braun Strowman. Uh, Sami Zayn stepped up. I completely forgot about that for a second, considering the fact that Braun Strowman made quick work of Sami, just pushing him literally right out of the ring, which was great. It was an awesome visual. But, I mean, is Sami really getting involved, or was he just coming down to... to you know, prevent Braun Strowman from further, like, pulverizing three, you know, uh, not-as-worthy competitors. Possibly. I mean, if they are going to face off at Hell in the Cell, which is next Sunday, we're going to have to see something quick, really, kind of formulate. This is not something that's been building for a while. For Braun Strowman, it has been, not specifically between Sammy and Braun Strowman. But it's not like Sami Zayn really has anything else going on right now. I mean, he had the whole thing with Neville for a week. Um, that didn't last. I mean, I know we were talking last week if that would be a regular attack. I mean, it didn't. Um, it's not like he's got his sights set on the United States Championship. So if he really wants to make a statement, I feel like there's no better person to make a statement against at the expense of than Braun Strowman, who has been unstoppable since arriving on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, Braun Strowman has been as much of a wrecking force, and we've talked about this, as uh, uh, Goldberg has been in the past. And he seems to just be swallowing competition alive, like I was saying. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how Sami Zayn... What, what that brings out of Sami Zayn, because he's not a guy that likes to get pushed around by anyone. He has that kind of same uh, just confrontational attitude that Chris Jericho tends to have and will get in the face of anyone and is not afraid to back it up. So knowing that that's within Sami Zayn, I, I feel like he he's not going to step down, but I don't know if that's going to work against him or not because Braun Strowman has proven that he, he, likes, he likes what he does and what he does is destroy. So... When he's set to that uh, mode, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from that. But I mean, I want to switch things up uh, real quick here and talk about a man with a plan. Uh, Brian Kendrick has been uh, uh, an, as underhanded and as um, subversive to the cruiserweight division as uh, beyond what I could have predicted. He was uh, paired up with Tony Nese and uh, Drew Gulak. And they defeated the team of cruiserweight champion TJ Perkins, Cedric Alexander, and Rich Swan. How does a team uh, basically led by Brian Kendrick get a win over such a stacked team in TJ Perkins, Alexander, and Rich Swan? I'm still wondering the same thing. It's not like Kendrick, Gulak, and Nice really had any sort of cohesiveness. I mean, Kendrick tagged himself into the match to win. You know, exactly. locking in the bully choke and then, lo- and then scoring the victory for himself because he didn't want... I think it was Nice that he tagged in, or that he tagged in order to get into the match. I have no idea. I'm still wondering the same thing, but Kendrick has that experience. I mean, as does Gulak and Nice and everyone else. All those guys have been in the business for years, but not as long as Kendrick. Kendrick has been in WWE before. He knows the landscape. He's already beaten TJ Perkins once. Perkins has beaten him once before as well. They're tied one for one. The Hell in the Cell match, not inside the cell, but at the pay-per-view, you know what I mean. Should be really good. Um, but I thought the match was really good. Probably one of the better, if not best, cruiserweight match we've seen on Raw up to this point in terms of kind of establishing reasons why we should not like all these guys involved, or at least the heels and why should we cheer. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's interesting, too, that uh, it seems that the cruiserweight division in itself is more willing to pair up and jump into tag team scenarios almost in a way that the normal main roster 
would wonder if that is going to put their singles career in jeopardy or mm-hmm. if they're joining up with something that is now going to prevent them from going after a specific title that they were interested in that's not at the tag team titles. But here, it seems to be like proving ground. It seems to be that TJ Perkins, no matter what, is going to be your cruiserweight champion, and, he, and he's always held to that higher standard. And he's definitely been paired up with two highly energetic and ex- exceptionally athletic uh, people like uh, Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan, who are definitely the shining uh, uh, kind of smiling faces of the cruiserweight division. I think Alexander and Rich Swan uh, represent a, a wholesomeness in their talents and in their respect for as, as competitors. TJ Perkins is now learning that having friendships like with Brian Kendrick can be uh, can be a mistake. And, and you start learning those things as you become a champion. Tony Nese is still trying to make a name for himself. You know, he, he hits like a heavyweight and flies like a cruiserweight. You know, uh, I, I, I really like where he's coming from, but he's still very much trying to angle himself to be in that main event against the cruiserweight champion TJ Perkins. What do you think that leaves for someone as subversive as Brian Kendrick to do, knowing that everyone else is, is, is thinking about either being respectful and participating and, and working their way and earning their way to that match versus what Brian Kendrick might do? I mean, the fact that he's kind of the lone wolf of the division really might work to his benefit. And the fact that he's different than anyone else, he's different than Gulak, he's different than Nice, he's not here to make friends. Gulak and Nice teamed up on Wednesday night in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, so I like the kind of consistency there. But with Brian Kendrick, I thought, um, you know, the, the fact that he kind of does his own thing might prove to help him in the long run, might win him the Cruiserweight Championship come next Sunday at Hell in the Cell. Um, but I really like the kind of the dynamic. I thought the backstage altercation with Kendrick saying, you know, uh, with uh, Perkins, rather, per, sorry, Perkins saying, it's all game over when we face off next Sunday. And Kendrick said, it's, it's not a game. This is real life, and I'm going to beat you. I'm going to take that title. So the fact that he's focused, he's ready, he's got that experience, and I think he could have the title in tow come next Sunday at Hell and Cell. And, and maybe that's what Brian Kendrick feels that when you make it to this level, that that's how you act and that's what you do. Mm. And obviously TJ Perkins is trying to, to carve out his own path in that and say that it can be done differently. And I think that that's why they clash fundamentally. And, you know, that's where that is literally where divides come from and friendships and fissures happen like that. So it becomes very professional about business. And then, you know, uh, sometimes business gets a little ugly. So that's that's certainly where it feels like everything's going. Uh, uh, got uh, some quick hits here. Uh, speaking of other business that was going down on Raw, uh, Raw, t- Raw Tag Team Champion, part of the Tag Team Champions, uh, Big E was able to defeat Sheamus. Cesaro doing similar tactics to Sheamus, uh, distraction tactics to Sheamus um, that uh, Sheamus did to him the week prior. Uh, interesting to see that they they literally cannot work together and refuse to work together and, and will do anything to erode away at each other. I, I, I honestly believe that this has to go back to a best of seven series once <laughs> again. There's no other way for them to, to work it out, you know? So that's that's brewing. Uh, Bo Dallas was able to, to defeat Neville. Now, we've seen this match between... We've seen the, uh, the, the competition between Neville and Bo Dallas... Uh, on display in NXT for quite some time, and we know there's a history between them there. But this is a different Bo Dallas right now. It's a little bit, a little bit lost behind the eyes a little bit, you know. And Neville is still very much the focused, uh, you know, prime athlete that he is. So to see Bo Dallas get a defeat over Neville, I feel like that says something for his uh, his momentum right now. 
You know, I'm not sure where he falls or where his allegiances lie, but they seem to have changed quite a bit. And it'll be interesting to see where Bo Dallas takes this from here. Um, Big Cass was able to, to defeat Carl Anderson, uh, which is, a, 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 I, would, I would apply the same type of uh, mentality that Big E took to, to Sheamus in, in the defeat over Carl Anderson. The, these uh, these are these are important wins because this is the shape of the actual competitors going after the tag team titles right now. Sheamus and Cesaro and and Anderson and Gallows along with Big Cass and uh, um, oh my God Enzo. So uh, every, every a lot of a lot of these things are are brewing on Raw right now. We will see probably some more progress on some of those ideas coming up next week on Raw, but I'm going to close out our Raw discussions right now with the fact that Dana Brooke defeated Bailey on Raw, and I know that you and I are both uh, Bailey fans, and um, I have waning respect for, for Dana Brooke. Um, what did you feel that this says uh, about Bailey, even though it's a, a loss on the books? I was heartbroken, first of all. I was heartbroken to see Bailey come up short. But the, but history has shown us that the more that she comes up short, a la Sami Zayn, she is the ultimate underdog. She will bounce back, and she will get that win. Um, will be that much more meaningful. Every time that she falls short of victory, especially when it matters most, she will win the big one in the end. So merely a roadblock. Dana Brooke is Dana Brooke. It's a big win for her. She's beating a former NXT Women's Champion. Easily the biggest win she's had of her career up to this point on the main roster, let alone in her career in general from NXT, whatever. But uh, Bailey, I mean, I'm not exactly too sure what to think. That the, the finish kind of came off a bit strange. It looked like Bailey might have hurt herself. I don't know if you saw the fallout video with her being accompanied backstage by the referees. I've heard no update on Bailey, you know, uh, by WWE, by basically anyone. So I really have no idea what her status is. I haven't looked on her Twitter to see if she's been active or not, but. Uh, I guess we'll find out Monday. She could be at a commission too, a lot like Paige and Summer Rae and all the others. So I guess we'll see where it leads. Yeah, we will see where. I, I mean, um, there has been nothing but uh, a, a physicality between Dana Brooke and Bailey at this point. Um, Bailey almost injuring Dana Brooke's knee a few weeks ago, which caused uh, Sasha Banks to, uh, or, or was before the match where Sasha Banks won her yep. title. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see how how much each of these competitors can take as they build towards obviously something, and then they need to resolve this at some point between the two of them, and, and, and so they can both focus on other things. So while Charlotte and Sasha are focused on on being inside the Hell in a Cell, and uh, you know Sasha is obviously focused on retaining her belt, Bailey is is really cutting her teeth right now against a very aggressive Dana Brooke, and I hope that she remains as healthy and as focused as she has been. And I hope that there is no setback. I'm not seeing anything popping up anywhere that is suggesting one. So hopefully we will get some more answers on this on Monday. But we have exciting stuff happening on the SmackDown side of things. Everything from in-ring action to things going down on Talking Smack. We definitely want to touch on a lot of this. It was a really exciting week for the blue brand um some uh big big <laughs> title defense matches happening um let's let's just jump into it let's talk about james ellsworth let's talk about the curious case of james ellsworth and i i have uh read a lot i have read his uh, reddit ama seen a lot from the guy he's uh, seems to be a humble person he seems to be a hardworking person. He seems to understand what his role 
uh, could be for when they need a person like him in the business. And look where it's got him. He's legitimately on a t-shirt for sale at the WWE and was legitimately in a match against a the world champion AJ Styles. That's emotionally unheard of. I mean, like, how, how do you, uh, you know, as, as the type of competitor and the, the, the type of person that he is and what he does in his personal time with his own wrestling leagues and things like that, uh, what do you what do you think about James Ellsworth being in a championship match? Well, like you said, I think it's inspirational for one thing. I mean, it's gotten him to this point. He's been in the business for 14 years. He beat, not only was he in a title match, but he's beaten the best, not only this company, but the entire world has to offer an AJ Styles on back-to-back occasions. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's inspirational. If he can do that, I think, I don't know if I can get to a level where I'm facing AJ Styles, but I think anyone can get to a level to that point on, on a on a TV show in the main event, beating the world champion, not winning the title, but it keeps him in the conversation. I know Dean Ambrose faces AJ Styles next week. If he can beat him, he gets a future title, a future title shot. But James Ellsworth, I don't know if he's been signed or not. I mean, he, he said on Tuesday before SmackDown that he has no idea what his WWE future holds, but he beat AJ again, so I'm sure he will be around in the future. Well, here's a couple of interesting perspectives I have on it. So Daniel Bryan had made the comment that if Raw is bringing back Attitude Era superstars, and this is from Talking Smack this week, if, if Raw is bringing back Attitude Era superstars like Goldberg to get their show over, to have competition for their part-time uh, employees, and I'm talking about Brock Lesnar, um, then SmackDown is, do, is carving out new territory. And... AJ Styles had, uh, on Talking Smack as well, a lot to say about what he felt about that and said that this was on Daniel Bryan, that Ellsworth is the type of competitor where if Dean Ambrose had not been out there per Daniel Bryan's uh, direction, then James Ellsworth would not be any kind of superstar. He would be rolled up into a ball within a couple of seconds or hit with the Styles Clash. One, two, three. Thank you very much. AJ Styles does not seem like a guy that needs to bully and, and, and beat up on someone clearly so smaller uh, of a competitor than he is. He doesn't need that. He's a, he's, a, he's a jerk, but he doesn't need to do that. And he said as much. So is Daniel Bryan responsible for the hype behind James Ellsworth more so than James Ellsworth earning any of that hype for himself? Certainly he's the guy in that place at that time, right? And, that, and that's all well and good. But is Daniel Bryan projecting to the WWE Universe, to AJ Styles, the current WWE World Champion, that much like Vince McMahon or anybody, that he can create a star out of anybody? And AJ Styles accused Daniel Bryan of being the authority. It's really interesting for me to agree with Styles so much on this, but he makes a compelling argument that the interest surrounding the story or the inspirational story of James Ellsworth comes down to the fact that on paper, those are defeats against AJ Styles. That as a headline, that's how it reads. What an inspiration. Now, Dean Ambrose is really pulling all the strings to what service to Dean right now. What, what credit does Dean get for any of this or all of it? I mean, certainly he's now put in a match against AJ Styles again, but we're right back where we started three weeks ago. You know, Cena is now out of the picture. He's just disappeared. So are are we 
just spinning our wheels waiting for you know the, the John C, uh, King John to return here you know and 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 is Dean Ambrose really going after this title or is he trying to play like some kind of casual mind game because he certainly is not doing it at the level that Randy Orton is doing against Bray Wyatt and the and the Wyatt family so if Dean Ambrose is just casually playing with things I don't think he wants to play this game with AJ Styles AJ Styles is laser focused on staying and retaining his championship so dean ambrose couldn't hold on to it and and now it seems like he's almost given up what do you what do you think about about the, the this whole dynamic between the creation of a james ellsworth and what dean ambrose a former champion who just had his opportunities is he earning any of that opportunity back does he deserve a match next week well for james ellsworth i think daniel bryan is partly responsible for giving him the opportunities, but I feel like James Ellsworth is largely responsible for his own hype and, and popularity considering the fact that he, for whatever reason, captured the hearts and imagination of the entire WWE universe when he went up against Braun Strowman three months ago. He was all over social media. He was, uh, he was you know, tra- he had his 15 minutes of fame that is now extended to an hour of fame on every Tuesday on SmackDown. But for whatever reason, his... Any man with two hands is a fighting chance catcher. Is caught on, and that's what caught him. That's what caused him to be brought back by WWE. Well, I think he's 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 obviously a smart guy, and I would not take away his mind uh, and his creativity away from him from for him stepping into that role and being able to take it over. But we hadn't really when when James Ellsworth uh, with with the entire style uh, look that he has. Uh, he's very he's very uh, uh, thin build to him. Chooses to wear like plain black trunks, like very very form fitting, you know. So it just really accentuates how lean he is, right? You know, he's got a couple of you know uh, tattoos, which I'm sure are meaningful to him, but on TV look very generic. And you know, it's it's a very it's a very gaunt looking build a wrestler if you were going to borrow from video game uh, vernacular, right? So to have him step in and have a creative mind for that, those are the types of characters that we we sometimes or somewhat saw in the Attitude Era. You know, you had that level of local competitive Dwayne Gill, Dwayne Gill, and, and wrestlers like that. So it is good to see that, and I think that he gets the hype because he was of the first. He was of the first reintroduced that reintroduced this idea and really kicked it all off. And he's he's going to be the the poster child for that. And whoever was the first guy, all they had to do was go out there and really not stumble and, and break their neck, which he almost did. James Ellsworth tucked his whatever. Well, he tucked his as, as much of his chin as he <laughs> has. Um, and when he was taking a stylist clash, and, and literally looked like it almost broke his head off. Um, uh, Ellsworth has made comment on this online about how he, you know, just instinctively in wrestling, you tuck your chin when you're taking a fall like that. Um, and to AJ Styles credit, Styles, uh, knows his, his position and posture so well that there was, there was no injury caused to James Ellsworth beyond the devastating injuries sustained in doing the Styles clash anyway, probably a little bit more so than usual, but no severe injury to James Ellsworth. So with all of this brewing, I, I I don't expect James Ellsworth to play any kind of more of a distraction role than he's already played, but I expect Dean Ambrose to, to potentially start stepping up a little bit more and realizing that you know he needs to take things a little bit more seriously than he's he's taking right now if he wants to be champ sooner than later and especially before King John comes back and and tries to uh, take over the throne again. I'm curious as to how Dean, I mean. Daniel Bryan didn't really, I mean, he made the match and AJ asked for it, but Dean didn't really do anything to 
earn the match. That's what I'm getting at. This, yeah. What What has he done other than he's a played, referee? Played referee, played jokester, hit the bell. You know, he he agreed that he would go out there and do all of it. And Daniel Bryan was all too willing to just let him go out there and and do whatever he wanted. So what does that say about Daniel Bryan's respect for champions? You know, what kind mm-hmm. of a, what kind of authority is he is he building within himself to say? Oh, well, no matter who's our champion, I'm not going to give them any respect if I think that they're not like me or how I would be a champion. I don't think that's a great way to treat the the champions that you have in your business. It doesn't mean you have to pander to them. And obviously, AJ Styles is a guy that will certainly be happy to take advantage of your good nature. But you, you can certainly set professional expectations and boundaries. Is that the type of behavior, though, that leads you to become Triple H? Not really. Does no. it start there though? Because I mean, AJ Styles is. I mean, already, oh, good. Is, is AJ Styles is already accusing Daniel Bryan of, of becoming the, the authority he once fought against. I thought that was interesting. I really thought that was interesting. The fact that he pointed that out on Talking Smack, and he he could. I mean, Daniel Bryan could become what he hated most. Really, what he had to overcome to achieve the most success he ever had in this business. Um, but the. The, the, the signs are there. The, well, he, the seeds have been planted. He was getting in from all angles on Talking Smack. He got a very direct and pointed uh, conversation from Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin, who defeated former world champion Jack Swagger on SmackDown this week, made quick work of him in about two minutes. 90 seconds, Nine, two you minutes? Know, Baron Corbin, back to his old ways of dominating the ring, just like NXT. Now we have Baron Corbin in the face of Daniel Bryan accusing him of similar things, accusing him of basically holding down top talent, holding down real superstars who are here to work hard, earn their money, and continue to perform at a healthy competitive level and, and, and do it better than any of these people. And you know, he, he referenced AJ Styles, he referenced people on, uh, Baron Corbin did, referencing people on the indies who are coming in and spending 12 and 15 years and they saw someone on TV when they were a kid and it's been their lifelong dream and for Baron Corbin it's just what he's contracted to do this year he made a phone call to the WWE when he decided he was done pursuing football and he's now here making more money doing what he wants to do working hard and in his spare time he goes home to his fiance that's his life where what do you think about Baron Corbin's direct accusations of Daniel Bryan in all of this. I thought that was great. I thought that was one of the best promos I've seen. Best promo I've ever seen from him, period. Uh, one of the better promos I've seen in recent memory because there's a lot of... The, the best heels, there's a lot of truth to their promos. And I thought there was a lot of truth to that promo. And he wasn't just going off on the fans saying, I don't care about people I work with. I don't care about people who come to watch me. They can boo me all they want. They're sitting in their basement writing on Twitter, whatever else. But like you said, he really made a direct enemy out of the general manager, Daniel Bryan, saying that you work for 10, 15 years to get here, and then you beat up your body. My body's not going to give out. I just made a phone call. I've been here for three and a half years. I will achieve more success than you ever did. I'll be completely fine. And he made a lot of great points. And then he said, Daniel Bryan, what can you do for me? I just beat a world champion in 90 seconds. And I really have not been doing much since I first came to SmackDown. What can you do for me? Daniel Bryan's like, oh, it's what? No, you can. No, no. He's like, no, no. What can you do for me? He's, and Daniel Bryan was left speechless almost. And as soon as Baron Corbin left, Daniel Bryan out loud just said, well, we'll find something for him. Thinking, Oh, well, I'll throw something really tough at him. 
tougher than what? Jack Swagger? Former for, world champion. Former world champion. What are you trying to say, Daniel Bryan? I, you're you're now because he actually confronted you. Oh, now you're gonna elevate him. Well, the thing is, is that the way he said it, and Renee Young too as kind of a way to like, oh, this is gonna be his punishment. But it's like, okay, punishment or not, he needs more competition. He doesn't look at it that way. He, you know, he's not gonna look at this as punishment. And that's that's what's wrong about this SmackDown authority is that like they have competitors that are there to work. They're like, hey, you said this was the wrestling show. I showed up to work. Where's my wrestling? Apollo Crews, too. Okay, look at Apollo Crews. We're going to blast through a couple of the headlines here. Uh, uh, Apollo Crews almost had a match against Kurt Hawkins, who... Fact. Uh, uh, yeah, this is a fact. Uh, <laughs> almost. You, you, can't, you can't see all the dramatic head-turning we're doing in here, but uh, yeah, Kurt Hawkins uh, continuing to get under the skin of nearly everybody, especially Apollo Crews, who is always ready for a match. And again, nothing for him. Uh, Carmella... Uh, uh, went uh tried to go off on Nikki Bella. Nikki Bella obviously great in holding her own and always coming up with a very valid reason of what her role in women's wrestling has done for this company. They are a top tier modern uh superstar uh and and a prime example of the integrity of of women wrestlers all over the world. They are a standard example and that's why newcomers like Carmella constantly have to prove themselves against competitors like Nikki Bella. And if Brie were still here and not focusing on other and new and awesome parts of her life, then they would be even that much more unstoppable. But uh, uh, it, it seems that uh, in the women's division too, there, there are some imbalances that are going back and forth as Alexa Bliss defeated Naomi this week. So now does that really set up for uh, set us up for a triple threat down the line for the for the for Becky Lynch's title because Naomi's got a win over Alexa and now Alexa's got a win over Naomi. You know they maybe maybe they have it out one more time to do, to really define who's the number one contender. But that was a pretty uh, that was a pretty great match between the both of them there. Great. And, and then uh, uh, just to close things out here, uh, uh, the Miz and the, the Spirit Squad. Uh, the loathsome combination of the Miz and the Spirit Squad def- uh, got a win over Dolph Ziggler, Heath Slater, and Rhino. Not, I know there are champions right now, but I just don't see the cohesiveness between Heath Slater and Rhino right now. And I didn't necessarily see that from the hype bros either when they made their appearance on Talking, uh, Talking Smack. Smack. They seem to be, I mean, uh, for as much of a bro as uh, uh, Zack Ryder is, and he's the ultimate broski, he seems to be a little bit more mellowed out than the off-the-leash hype that is Mojo Raleigh. So, uh, you know, maybe it maybe it will take Zack Ryder upping his hype levels to 11 to actually get that team to championship status because I feel like they have the vibe, they, got the, they have the drive. They just need to turn it up to 11, and that was evident on Talking Smack. They just didn't have that, that cohesive energy. So, uh, real quick, we only got a... Quick minute here. We spent a lot of time talking about the buildup to uh, the Hell in a Cell and what is going on as we have Survivor Series looming in the background of everything that we do right now. Um, All of these Survivor Series challenges that we talked about last week have been accepted by Raw, by Stephanie. Uh, So we will be uh, experiencing a very interesting survivor series coming up on the horizon likely we will see brock lesnar and bill goldberg uh at that time 
uh, bringing back more of the traditional elements of the Survivor Series and having that big main event feel. So uh, with our with our last couple of minutes here, as we are a little crunched for time, uh, quick hits here uh, straight from the WWE website of uh, NXT. Uh, no way, Jose and Rich Swan defeated Tony Nese and Drew Gulak. Not not the not their week for Tony Nese and Drew Gulak. <laughs> uh, Bobby Roode defeated uh, Sean uh, Maluta. Maluta. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce delivered a vicious attack against Liv Morgan. Uh, Liv Morgan, wow, she has been just getting beat on it. She can't catch a break. Especially by Billy Kay. Peyton Royce uh, always playing a role uh, in that at some level. Uh, Austin Aries and Roderick Strong defeated Tucker Knight and Otis uh, Dozovic, I am I, I'm struggling with some of these names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Danielle Camela and Nikki Cross uh, uh, was called uh, due for a referee's decision. That was an, an interesting uh, an interesting match there. Insanity. Yep. Yeah, and uh, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura uh, knocked out Patrick Clark. Very so, eccentric Patrick a Clark. Very, a very eccentric <laughs> Patrick Clark. Prince-esque pa- uh, Patrick Clark. Uh, so, so Shinsuke Nakamura being the the uh, moonwalking, almost Michael Jackson pop uh, king of strong style, had uh, it was able to make easy work out of the uh, Patrick Clark aura that he was uh, trying to present. So... That is our show for this week. We will be diving more into NXT as NXT does builds and develops uh, along the way here. Uh, For now, we're going to stay focused on Hell in a Cell and Survivor Series coming up. Uh, The feuds are only going to intensify as we come towards Survivor Series between the Raw brand and the SmackDown brand. And who knows who we will see appear from NXT on either of these brands in the near future. A lot of superstars calling out NXT superstars these days. Really exciting things. We are hyped and we will stay hyped until we talk to you again next Friday, check us out, nexterawrestling.net. You are listening to Wrestle Rant Radio. Wrestle Rant Radio.